Tonight's reading is taken from Psalm 41. To the choir master, a psalm of David. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, When will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words, while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say, a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me, and raise me up, that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. But you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. Our Father, we thank you that you're um, a speaking God. And we pray now that you would open our eyes and ears and hearts to um, hear your voice and be changed this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I think it was um, Oscar Wilde who is meant to have said that the only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about. It seems like a fitting epigram for the festival, because I guess that is true if you're in media or marketing or something like that. But for most of us, the experience of being talked about by other people is actually pretty unpleasant, isn't it? Like, when you walk into the room at work and suddenly everyone goes quiet and looks a bit shifty, awkward, and it's apparent that you have been the topic of conversation. The things you've said and done, your motives, it's not, it's not nice. It's a very vulnerable, um, a powerless position to be in when other people are talking about you. Or at school, um, for those of you who are younger, it can be one of the cruelest forms of betrayal, can't it, when someone is saying one thing to your face and something else behind your back. We, concept, we have the concept of a frenemy, um, people being two-faced. I remember at school making a joke at another boy's expense only to realize that he was sitting right behind me and um, that's not something I'm proud of because it's such an ugly and a harmful thing, isn't it? Using secret words to, um, to pull down another person. Well, that's what Psalm 41 is about. It's a poem about hostility and betrayal. Probably you spotted that as Moira read. If you have a look, verse 5, my enemies say of me in malice. Or verse 6, when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart um, gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it all abroad. Or verse 7, all who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. Or verse 9, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. 
It's a psalm about hostility and betrayal. It was written by Israel's King David about some nasty piece of intrigue in the palace that he faced. And yet, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the psalm speaks beyond that original setting. A thousand years later, after it was written, the Lord Jesus, on the night of the Last Supper, could quote from Psalm 41 uh, as a description of his betrayal at the hands of Judas Iscariot. It's very often how the Psalms work. They speak of of, um, the Messiah, the ruler, in human terms, King David, but in a way that points beyond him to the Messiah, the ultimate ruler who would one day come, great David's greatest son, the Lord Jesus. So this is a psalm that shows us the suffering of the Messiah. And so we'll find that this psalm speaks to us this evening. There are three, uh, I guess, practical or devotional points that I think stand out. You can see them on the sheets there. Uh, I think that um, the psalm will warm our hearts as we see another aspect, a facet of what the Lord Jesus suffered for us. Um, It will strengthen us if we go through experiences of betrayal like this. And then, lastly, it'll encourage us that we live lives of compassion. That's what we'll see. It's where we'll reach. But in order to, to feel those points, to really understand them, we need to look first at what the psalm actually says. And so, if you have your Bibles open, let me break it down into two parts. First of all, in the first three verses, we have a statement of principle. The Lord will show compassion to those who are compassionate. What follows in the psalm is a description of experience. And experience is often messy and confusing. We don't always see or um, feel things clearly in the heat of it. And so what we have first alongside that experience is a really clear statement of principle that the Lord will show compassion on those who are compassionate. When everything felt foggy and unclear, this is something that David felt was solid ground beneath his feet, a truth he came to see that he could cling to. The Lord will show compassion to those who are compassionate. Have a look down. A couple of the verses need a bit of explanation. Um, Blessed is the one who considers the weak. I know our, our version says poor, but if you have good eyesight, you can see a footnote there that makes a comment on the translation. It, probably this Hebrew word is better translated uh, weak. It, it, it doesn't just mean poor in the sense that we would usually understand that in sort of economic terms. It's a bit broader than that. It's a word that's very often used of King David in the Psalms. So actually in both services last week, Psalm 86 in the morning and Psalm 40 in the evening, he describes himself as being poor, even though he was from quite a wealthy family and he ended up in royal palaces. He was poor, though, in the sense that he was greatly afflicted and he was humble. He recognized his need of help every hour from the Lord. It's a kind of a weakness laced with humility. So, Blessed is the one who considers the weak. In the day of trouble, the Lord rescues him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, 
You restore him to full health. That um, final image in verse 3 is also worth another look. Again, you can see a footnote. What it says literally is that when they are sick, God turns the bed of those who have shown compassion to others. It's a lovely image, isn't it? Of nursing care, of the Lord pumping up the pillows, um, changing the sheets of those who have shown care to others. So it's not, I think, a flat promise of physical healing, but it's saying that he will be close to and care for those who are compassionate. That's the principle, and hopefully it's clear enough. When David was suffering and under attack, um, he found that he could cling on to this. He knew that in spite of his imperfections, he had tried to live as a servant of others. He had been a humble and a compassionate king, and so he trusted that the Lord would be with him and would rescue him. Now, it's important to say that it's not that our compassion earns God's compassion. I suspect that's quite a common view, that if I'm kind to other people, then God will owe me, and he'll be kind to me. That's not what this psalm is saying. David is very much aware, if you look at verse 4, for example, he's very much aware of his own sinfulness. He knows that if we want to earn anything from God, the only thing that we could earn from the perfect God is his judgment. But he also knows that God is so forgiving that he turns aside his judgment by means of sacrifice and that he gives his spirit to help his people to live lives that are pleasing to him. The point here is that compassion is something that the Lord produces in his people. It's a fruit. It is a sign of God being really at work in someone. So David is saying, I know you're with me because you've been changing me. I know I'm yours because you have stamped something of your likeness and character upon me. That's how I know that you're with me. Therefore, I have this assurance. The Lord will show compassion for those who are compassionate. That's the principle. And then, moving on, verses 4 to 13, we have the experience, the Lord preserving his Messiah through an experience of betrayal. The, um, the picture here, you can really see the human story behind the poetry. The picture is of, of um, him being laid low at a time of crisis. He's sick. Um, we thought about last week, the, perhaps the lowest point in the reign of King David when his son Absalom led a rebellion and a civil war. Many of the allies and courtiers of the king would have turned against him. And maybe that's the setting for this. Some other episode of nastiness and intrigue at the palace. Looking at verse 5, we get a sense of what of, um, of his enemies circling around him like vultures, waiting for David's strength to fail. He, he's sick, and people are whispering, he's on his way out, you know. No good being loyal to David. He's a spent force. You need to start thinking about the future. Then, if you look at verse 6, we see how these things work. The false friend who comes with words of comfort, and really their heart is full of plotting. Or if you look at verse 9, this is what hurts the most. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. 
It's that last verse, verse 9, that is quoted by Jesus in John chapter 13, verse 18, applying that to his own betrayal at the hands of Judas. Because that's how the Old Testament works. It doesn't just make predictions which are then fulfilled in Jesus. It gives pictures which explain beforehand the Messiah when he came. So things like the sacrificial system, and uh, that is a, it's not a prediction as such, but a picture that enabled us to understand ahead of time how Jesus would work and how he would save us, what he would be like when he came. And it's the same with the Messiah ruler that the Lord set up. What sort of a Messiah was, was King David? He was a suffering Messiah. He faced affliction and betrayal. And so when Jesus comes, we see, ha, huh, even though he's the king, he will suffer at the hands of others. It's um, often, in, when we read the Psalms, we want to kind of appropriate the language for ourselves as expressions of our own feelings, but really many of them are better understood as the prayers of the Lord Jesus, the prayers of the Messiah. And that's what we see here, that even God's Messiah faces affliction and betrayal. And yet, he is wonderfully preserved through it. So read again from verse 9. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me. Raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. But you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Whoever was against King David. He knew that the Lord was with him. And we see the same thing with Jesus. He was opposed and betrayed, but the Lord was with him. Time and again, he escaped from the hands of those who wanted to hurt him. He trusted that God would look after him, and so he was able to keep on saying and doing what he knew to be right. And even in the end, even when his enemies thought that they had finally nailed him, he was raised up by his father on the third day. Verse 12 if you look down, fits for Jesus much better than it ever did for David. Because after the resurrection, he was raised up and exalted into the presence of God as the ruler and king for all time. It's possible, reading verse 10, that we feel a bit squeamish about the talk of repayment there. I don't know. Um, It is worth remembering how magnanimous King David was. Um, If you're interested, in 2 Samuel 19, we read of an amnesty for those who had been involved in Absalom's rebellion. Or forward in time with Jesus, we remember his prayer on the cross, Father, forgive them. The Messiah is not vengeful in that way. And yet at the same time, this is a psalm with a warning because the Messiah will stand in the end in spite of all his enemies. And so if we do keep on rejecting and opposing him, then there is a price to pay for that. That's what the psalm describes overall, the Lord preserving his Messiah through an experience of betrayal. That's what it says. So, what does it say to us? Three things. Three things. First, Psalm 41, I think, helps us to appreciate the sufferings of Jesus. Psalm 41 helps us to appreciate the sufferings of Jesus. It's always worth paying attention when the New Testament quotes a verse from the Old Testament. 
And so when Jesus picks up verse 9 in the Last Supper, it really focuses our attention on, on the horror of the betrayal that he faced. Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. I don't know if you have ever been betrayed like that. I remember um, a friend of my brother's who used to talk about nice brother and nasty brother, which I always thought was a bit harsh, that she had a nice brother and a nasty brother, until I found out the story that actually nasty brother had siphoned money out of the small family business up to the point where it, it went bust, and their parents lost their house, and he ran off with six figures, leaving the rest of them, his parents, his siblings, broke. Nasty brother. Now, I know that that's a particularly stark example, but many of us will have faced, will have known the pain of betrayal. Maybe at work, when someone you had thought of as a friend uh, ends up um, speaking against you so that they get all the credit or you get all the blame. We talk about that, don't we? Office politics or people having pointy elbows. Maybe some of you have known that kind of betrayal. Or socially, when you find out that someone, again, you thought you'd always got along with had been saying stuff about you that wasn't kind or wasn't true. Or maybe even closer to home, in a family or in a marriage. It really hurts. The, the agony of betrayal. When we think about what Jesus suffered in order to rescue his people... Rightly, we normally focus on the final moments at the end of his life on the cross. Because, and really this is the heart of what Christianity is all about. On the cross, Jesus faced the judgment, the punishment from God that we deserved so that we could be forgiven. He stood in for us so that we could be released. And we focus on that. But this psalm actually adds in, I think, something to our understanding of all that it was that Jesus suffered. There was a kind of a social aspect in the suffering and humility of Jesus, that he was willing to be opposed and betrayed. And actually, not just in those last few hours of his life, but actually over a more extended period of time. So during the years of his ministry, say three years, when the Pharisees, the kind of religious establishment, when they treated him and spoke about him and spoke to him as if he was just some ignorant peasant from Nazareth. Think of the voice of pride and temptation within him shouting out, don't you know who I am? Or when others were whispering and scheming against him. I don't know if you ever have that when someone's not treating you the way that you feel you deserve to be treated and you just wish you could zap them. Well, we read in the Gospel... Um, Jesus said that he could have called down legions of angels to destroy those who opposed him. But he chose not to. Over the long term, he accepted the suffering experience of the Messiah so that he could live the perfect life of patience and humility. He, he trusted his Father and his timing and his justice so that in the end he could be our perfect substitute so that his perfect human life could be credited to us when we put our trust in him. He willingly suffered this hostility for us and also betrayal. 
Think about the Last Supper. As Jesus predicts the betrayal of his friend, Judas, a man who'd been with him for years, living closely like a flatmate, I suppose, or someone that you share an office with. Jesus had chosen him as one of his 12 closest followers. And think of all the things that he had shown to Judas, the teaching, the miracles, the beauty of his flawless character. That man had had a ringside seat of the most amazing human life, literally the best of men, and yet he still turned against him in that final moment. Judas sold him out for 30 pieces of silver, and Jesus knew it was going to happen. He knew it was going to happen. In um, John 13, when Jesus quotes from Psalm 41 on the night of the Last Supper, um, that's right before, Jesus, right before he was betrayed. And the gospel writer comments that Jesus was troubled in his spirit, as he predicted that. Troubled in his spirit. It's a, a strong feeling, a strong emotion that the gospel writers only ascribe to Jesus a few other times. The real low points, the agony of betrayal that he faced willingly for us. I think this really helps us to see what the humility, the suffering of Jesus means in all different kinds of aspects. The betrayal that he faced, the suffering Messiah experience that he was willing to embrace, not just for a few hours at the end of his life, but over at the extended period of time. We um, sometimes hear, don't we, about acts, kind of moments of great heroism, like the soldier who jumps on top of the hand grenade to save his buddies, or that man on London Bridge who, who uh, wrestled with the knife-wielding um, terrorist in order to stop him stabbing other people. Well, the way the Lord Jesus came to save us has that quality of, of heroism. As you think about those crisis moments on the cross where bravely he, he stood in for us. But his rescue also has this slower, resolute quality of a life laid down bit by bit every day. Every day he had to embrace his identity as the suffering Messiah with all that that entailed. He gave his all to save us on the cross and all the time leading up to that. He chose to endure the shame of hostility, of the pain of betrayal, of being mistreated, misrepresented, and betrayed. He chose to bear that, and he did it for us. And if we're Christians, if we know that he did it for us, that he took the punishment that we deserve, that his perfect life is credited to us, and we see how much that cost him, doesn't that warm our hearts towards the Lord Jesus? you're um, not sure that you, you would want to trust him, not, not sure that you would want to know Jesus for yourself, this is what he's like. It warms our hearts. We see how much he loves us, what he was willing to go through for us. If you're a Christian and you're finding it hard to trust him in the way that he's managing your life at the moment, if you're finding it hard to obey what he says, 
if you feel reluctant to sacrifice for him, if you're finding your heart being drawn towards other things more than it is to Jesus, think about the experience of hostility and betrayal that he willingly embraced in order to be your saviour. That's the first thing that this psalm does for us. It warms our hearts towards the Lord Jesus and what he suffered for us. Next, moving on. Psalm 41 also strengthens us when we face hostility and betrayal. I've already mentioned um, a few of the ways that we might face that in our lives at school or at work or what have you. Well, in those situations, if you are a Christian, you have someone with you who knows how that feels. We can pray to Jesus as someone who knows how that feels. And we can draw great strength from that. Because very often, I think, in those situations, one of the hardest things when you're under attack is how isolated you feel, how alone. Well, the person who trusts Jesus is not alone and not without hope. My enemies say, all who hate me whisper, even my close friend, but you, O Lord... Be gracious to me and raise me up. He's with you. He will be with you. And maybe that's a precious thought for some here this evening. We can share in David's confidence as he trusted the Lord and Jesus' confidence as he trusted his Father. And even more so when we face hostility for being a Christian, which is something that um, the Lord Jesus said would happen. It's very reassuring to see from this psalm that Um, Jesus doesn't send his people out so that they face something that he wasn't willing to face for himself. That's reassuring, isn't it? He's um, a strong and loving leader. Jesus knew what it was to have opinions that other people thought were silly or offensive and to take the shame of that. But he knew that experience. He knew what it was to live in a way that was a challenge to others and to receive the flack that came from that. He suffered that hostility and yet he also felt secure in both the present and the future. Look at verse 12. But you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. The psalm strengthens us. It gives us confidence as we face those times in life. And then finally, verse, Psalm 41 encourages us to live lives of compassion. Think again, please, about the principle in the first three verses. Blessed is the one who considers the weak. In the day of trouble, the Lord rescues him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you turn all his bed. Jesus famously said that those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Yeah, we've heard that saying before. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. That comes from Jesus, and I think probably we know what that means. But here in Psalm 41, we're seeing that the opposite is also true. That those whose lives are marked by compassion can be assured that they will receive compassion from God. In other words, in, um, 
our security in times of conflict and betrayal doesn't come from knowing that I am stronger or smarter or more ruthless than those who oppose me, but from the fact that I'm not really like them at all. That God has stamped upon me a different sort of character, his character, his patience, love and generosity, his compassion. Blessed are the peacemakers, would say the Lord Jesus much, much later, because they will be called children of God. That is, they bear the family likeness. And so they will also enjoy the assurance that they do, that they really do belong to God. I want to say again that it's not our compassion that earns God's compassion. Um, it's really important. Rather, we, we grow in assurance as we see the ways in which our actions and character are changing, being worked on by God, reshaped by his spirit, reformed into his likeness. A compassionate person can know that they belong to God because he has softened them, is softening their hard hearts to be more like himself. So think about verse 1 again. Blessed is the one who considers the weak. When an Absalom or a Judas saw a person who was weak and vulnerable, they viewed that as an opportunity for gain. When a Jesus sees someone who is weak and vulnerable, he sees that as an opportunity to serve. It's clear which attitude is more attractive. And this psalm also tells us which one has the better outcome. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Those who live by compassion will live by compassion. So for us this week, don't we need to pray that we will be marked more and more by the compassion of God as we deal with other people at work or seeing our family over the rest of the summer or out in the street or driving in your car. Let us live out this great mark of belonging to God, his family likeness, that he will have compassion on those who are compassionate. And may we know that assurance seeing his work in our lives and knowing that he is with us and will be with us and will deliver us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this psalm and how it speaks to us. We thank you for Jesus' willingness to undergo suffering and betrayal for us. Lord, however we come, please warm our hearts to him tonight. And please also strengthen us to face hostility in our turn, that we would trust in your care. And would you also mark us with your character, your compassion, so that we might know that we are yours. For Jesus' sake. Amen.